Okay. All right. So it's a pleasure to be here with everybody today. Um, if you don't know, Ryan and Tasha had their baby a couple days ago. Uh, so uh, Ryan is, is going to be tending to his family. We've been, I know that you've all been very prayerful for uh, Ryan and Tasha and uh, the Lord uh, definitely uh, heard, heard the prayers. The baby came uh, uh, perfectly healthy and Tasha is doing great. So, uh, so we, we praise God for that. Uh, but while Ryan is tending to his family, I will be preaching uh, probably for the next month or so. And we thought it would be good to go through a small book in the Old Testament. And uh, uh, as, as uh, William had mentioned during the catechism, we aptly decided to go through the book of Jonah, uh, which is also Ryan's Son, new son's name. So um, it's going to be, it's a, so today's sermon is, is really an introduction to the book. Um, normally introductions are kind of short. This one is not going to be, this one is going to be pretty meaty. Uh, and I, I, I do, it's really important that we do this for a couple different reasons. First is that it sets the tone for the book that we're about to go into. I want everybody in here to understand exactly what was happening in the nation of Israel at this time and what led up to this story of Jonah. Uh, there's no question uh, about it. So uh, years ago, when I decided that I would uh, start to study the Old Testament, maybe some of you guys have had a, a, a situation like this, where you go into the Old Testament, and, and I decided that the first book that I was really going to get into was going to be the book of Isaiah. You know, it's the fifth gospel, and there's so much Christ happening in the book of Isaiah, and I was completely lost. I had no clue what I was reading at all. I, I didn't know why certain nations were being judged, why seemingly every nation was being judged. I didn't know who Isaiah was. I didn't know who any of the kings were. I had no clue. I was simply just reading through this book without any context at all. And it was quite a puzzle to put together. You know, you see certain nations that are being used for judgment, and then they will in, then return be judged later on. Kings coming from, you know, the east and the north and, you know, every other direction. It was, it was very, very confusing. So I don't want that to be the case for us when we go through the book of Jonah. So I really, really want, would like everybody to, uh, to, to put your thinking caps on today, kind of follow through uh, the direction that we're going. And I seek to aim, I, I see, my aim is to answer two questions, basically. Two questions. Who was Jonah? Who was Jonah before God? And what was the nation of Israel prior to this moment of Jonah? We're going to really study that. Uh, so let's, let's go ahead and pray, ask for God's help, and then we'll begin uh, the sermon today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father and uh, Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, Lord, we, we ask for your help today. We ask, Lord, that you would come, that you would, uh, that you would move me out of the way, Lord, uh, that your people would be fed, which is the most important part, God, and that you would receive glory uh, as a result of it. Uh, be with us today, Lord, for we, we can't make heads or tails apart from you and apart from your grace showing us what you mean through your text. We love you, God, and we thank you. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Okay, so a uh, quick little introduction here. So the book of Jonah is probably one of the most uh, widely known stories in scriptures. Uh, there virtually every single kid in all of Christendom has been told the story of Jonah, right? Uh, the, the elements, I'm sure there's elements of Jonah that have been told to our kids, right? To get them to listen, to get them to obey, like this is what happens when you don't, you know? Uh, and that's that's all good and well, but the story of Jonah is so much bigger than a story of, of Jonah and his disobedience. Or, and it's so much bigger than just simply God uh, miraculously using this fish to bring his prophet from point A to, to seemingly point B. Um, it, it's so much more than that. It, there's, there is uh, 
when we go through an Old Testament prophet, we really have two challenges. One is to see what, it, what God is trying to communicate in its immediate context. And second, what God is trying to communicate through the entire scope of Scripture. This is how we interpret the Old Testament. Right. So Jonah was being read by people before Christ came to earth and it had to mean something to those people. Right. God was communicating something to those people. And now we read it on this side of the cross and we have to see it in its immediate context, what it meant to those people and what it means to the all of God's church as a result of Jesus. And he is all over the place. After all, he did say that all of the prophets, right, all of the law and the prophets speak of him. And it's certainly the case in this in this uh, particular story. Now, one of the things that we see nowadays when we talk about the book of Jonah is uh, there are many non-believers and even some professing believers that don't view Jonah as a historical event. It's it's very you know there's some supernatural elements and you know the supernatural makes people kind of uncomfortable. The only problem is is that Jesus did not see this as a as a theoretical issue. He actually saw this as a historical issue. So in, in Matthew chapter 12, verses 39 and 40, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it. He says, but he answered and said to them, an evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, and yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. This, the significance of this passage will absolutely come up in later weeks. Uh, but for now, what I want to gain for is what's good for Jesus is good for us. If he saw this as a historical event, then we should also see this as a historical event, right? Believers normally don't have this problem. Uh, when we're talking about God creating everything from nothing, we have no problem with the supernatural. God is, is, is God. He can do all that he pleases. He creates the, the heavens by the word of his power. So this is not too far for God and it shouldn't be too far for us because it was not too far for Christ, right? So um, we will be, uh, in order to answer the two questions that I was talking about earlier, who is Jonah, who was Jonah before he, him in the book, and what was the state of the nation of Israel, we're not actually going to be in Jonah at all today. What we're going to do is I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of 2 Kings, chapter 14, 2 Kings, chapter 14, and we will see what the Lord has to say about Jonah. So a couple quick things before we read. The first thing, uh, Jonah, whose name means dove, uh, is the son of Amittai. Amittai was his father, whose name means the truth of God. And anytime you see the, the name Jonah or Amittai in the scriptures, they are speaking of only Jonah and Amittai. They're very rare names in the scriptures. Nobody else has given the name Jonah, as we will see here uh, shortly with, with uh, Jeroboam. And uh, they, these, uh, so Jonah was from the town of Gath-Hefer, and he was a prophet for the northern kingdom of Israel around 800 years before Christ. So this happened quite a long time ago. And we know that prophets, prophets of God, were given a word by God. They were, they were uh, uh, commissioned by God. And normally what happened is he would send prophets to then speak his word to whomever. Sometimes he would have them go and speak to kings. Sometimes he would have them go and address an entire city. Uh, sometimes he would have them go just to individuals, right? We can think about the prophet Nathan and, and the message that he brought to David after he sinned with Bathsheba and had her husband murdered. 
Sometimes it's, it's individual, sometimes it's many, and sometimes God will have a prophet go to a nation of enemies and prophesy to a nation of enemies uh, the, the, the things of God, and that's exactly what he does with, with Jonah. Uh, so now that we've introduced at least who Jonah was, a thumbnail sketch, uh, let's take a look at our text today. So we can look at the uh, the political and religious landscape of Israel. I'm going to read verses 23 through 27. So Second uh, Kings chapter 14, 23 through 27. In the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, became king in Samaria and reigned 41 years. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all of the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat which he made Israel sin. He restored the border of Israel from the entrance of Hamath as far as the sea of Arabah. According to the word of the Lord, the God, uh, the God of Israel, which he spoke through his servant, Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was of gath Hefer. For the Lord saw the affliction of Israel, which was very bitter, for there was neither bond nor free, nor was there any helper for Israel. The Lord did not say that he would blot out the name of Israel from under, he under heaven, but he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. So um, we did see a little bit of what I gave you, right, for, uh, as far as Jonah is concerned. Uh, but in verse 23, this is where I want to start. If you look at verse 23, he uses the name of two different kings. He says, in the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, became king in Samaria. So we know this tells us that this happens after the nation of Israel is fractured into two different nations. We have the northern kingdom and we have the southern kingdom, uh, the northern kingdom being um, uh, the nation of Israel and the southern kingdom being the kingdom of Judah. Uh, we're going to get into why that split took place. If you don't know the history on your kings, you will today. You're going to learn a little bit about that today. Uh, that's what we're really going to be getting into. And um, just a quick side note, those two Joashes are not the same Joashes. Those are different Joashes. They lived at slightly different times. Remember, you know, certain names get used multiple times in Scripture. Not the case for Jonah uh, and Amittai. And uh, let's let's look at. Uh, it says that that this new Jeroboam in verse twenty three reigned forty one years. Forty one years. That is a huge, huge deal, and it will make sense here in just a moment, especially in light of the next verse. Let's go to verse twenty four. It says he did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all of the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, which he made Israel sin. So we have two different Jeroboams now. We have Jeroboam the first and we have Jeroboam the second. This could lead us to believe that, you know, what we're used to is, is kings uh, having the same names and succeeding themselves fairly closely. That we, that's how we get in, in history. So uh, the kings of England worked that way. Listen to this. So William the first and the second were kings back to back. It was William I, William II, King of England, okay? Then you go a few years later. This is the year 1100. We have Henry I. Henry I ruled. Then there was a King Stephen who ruled in between King Henry and King Henry II. They, came, they come right into succession, but they did not work like this for Jeroboam I and Jeroboam II. There were 12 kings in between Jeroboam I and Jeroboam II over the span of 117 years. This is a long time, and it says that Jeroboam II repeated the same sins of Jeroboam the first. This is 117 years of the same sins. But what are the sins? 
Uh, you can find them in First Kings chapter 11 and 12. We don't have time to really, really get into them. There's a lot of details uh, in it. But what I want to do is I want to explain uh, base, the, the, the basics of it to you so that we have um, the gaps filled in. I encourage you, though, uh, second, First Kings 11 and 12, go back and read those on your own so that you can you know, see and, and fill in those gaps. Um, so we're going to go back to Solomon. King Solomon, right? David, David dies and he leaves King Solomon, this united Israel. There was not two nations. It was one nation politically and religiously. It was all one nation. And when King Solomon died, he left his kingdom to his son, who was Rehoboam. Now we know through the course of Solomon's life that God had judged him. Um, the last sermon that I preached was on Ecclesiastes chapter one. And we talked about Solomon going and, and uh, seeking all that his heart desired. He fell away from the Lord. He started to, to, to uh, seek after foreign women, and uh, they had led him away from God. He started to commit idolatry, right? God judges him, and he gives it to, to Rehoboam. He gives the nation to his son, but he says, I'm going to break the nation, and that's exactly what he does. He breaks them into, into two different sides. So um, there were three men. After Rehoboam takes the throne of the nation of Israel, there are a few men that decide they will come, and they will petition so, uh, Rehoboam. And they will ask him because Solomon worked the people very hard, taxed the people very hard as he was seeking to go and, uh, and, and gather all that his eyes desired. He, he took it out on the, the folks in the north. And what they did was they wanted to come to Rehoboam and say, look, your father Solomon was really hard on us. He worked on us very, you know, very, very hard, taxed us very hard. And we're asking you if you can please take it easy on us. If you can lighten the workload, we're, we're tired and we're beaten up. Well, Rehoboam had two sets of people that he took advice from. One was from the wise advisors that had advised Solomon throughout his kingship. And the other set was his buddies, right? His, his, his friends. So he takes this information, he takes it to the advisors and he takes it to his friends. The advisors say, you should listen to them. You should lighten their workload. Because if you do, these people are going to follow you wherever you, wherever you desire to go. You're going to have these guys by your side. And buddies say, make it worse. Give him, give it more. Give, give him more than what Solomon gave them. And that's what he decided to do. He decided to go and he decided to make everything harder on them. He tells them that, you know, uh, that the, that the, the father or his father's yoke was heavy. His yoke would be twice as heavy, you know, and these people obviously leave not too happy. Well, at this time, there was a man named Jeroboam who had fled to Egypt. He fled Solomon. After the prophets had come to Solomon and told him, no, your, your kingdom is going to be given, half of your kingdom is going to be given over to a different king. He starts to seek out Jeroboam and he starts to, he wants to kill Jeroboam. So Jeroboam flees to Egypt. Well, as Rehoboam, are you, uh, hopefully everybody's following me here. As Rehoboam explains to these men that come from the north, no, I'm going to make your load harder. They send messengers out to Jeroboam that said, no, these guys, are, they're going to make it even harder on us. This is going to be even more difficult. So Jeroboam and these men, all from their respective places, then make their way back to the northern half of Israel to then figure out how to break away from Rehoboam. That's where we find ourselves here in this, in this place. Uh, so, um, so, and that's exactly what happens. They elect Jeroboam to be king. Jeroboam then uh, uh, decides that they have no part with David. They forsake their inheritance um, uh, with David. They want no part of him, and they break off to start their own nation. Well, as time would have, as, as time goes on, 
uh, they decide to bring all of the nation of Israel, not necessarily politically, but religiously. Remember, they all worship the same God. They all come from, they're all God's people. They decide to have a meeting at the temple. So they send a message out to the guys in the north, right? Uh, the, the, the kingdom that Jeroboam is over. And they say, come and we will meet at the temple. But Jeroboam doesn't want that to happen. Why would Jeroboam not want that to happen? Why wouldn't they want to go to the Lord's temple and to meet as all of God's people? Well, because he, he's afraid that the guys that he's talked into becoming a new kingdom are going to be persuaded back to Judah. And that would leave him as a traitor. His head would be required of him at that point by King Rehoboam. He can't have Jeroboam walking around defying him and being a second king. He's not going to share his kingship, right? So what, what does he do? He decides that he's going to bring the temple to them. And what he does is he starts to build sanctuaries and he starts to assign priests who are not Levites. If you know God's law, you know that only Levites were to be priests of Yahweh, only them. He starts setting up his own sanctuaries. He starts setting up his own priest and he fashions two bulls made of gold. He places one in Bethel. And he places one in the town of Dan, one in the northernmost part of the northern kingdom and in the southernmost part of the northern kingdom. And those were supposed to be the pedestals where Yahweh dwelled or where Yahweh stood. And all of the people of the north begin to go to these golden calves and they begin to worship there. Does that sound familiar to you? It should sound familiar to you. Because in the the book of Exodus, when Moses was up on the mountain... Aaron, who is persuaded by all of the people who down below, they get impatient and they're tired of waiting. So they have Aaron fashion this calf of gold and they all begin to worship that down on the mountain. And that's what brings God's judgment. That's what brings God's judgment on these people. So this is where we are. And this is how it begins. These are the sins of Jeroboam the first. Well, it said that Jeroboam the second did not depart from those sins. I told you that it was 117 years and over 12 kings. This mass idolatry is taking place in the nation of Israel. And it's it's really the idolatry of the worst kind because these people believe that they are worshiping Yahweh, the one true God. Only they are doing it with graven images. They're doing it with idols. They're breaking the commandments as they seek to worship him. So God acts accordingly. God decides to act accordingly. And this brings us to the day of Jeroboam II, 117 years. Um, Did you notice how many kings I said over 117 years? God will not stand for idolatry. He will not stand for the worship with graven images, right? There are 12 kings over 117 years. Guys, that is a ton of kings for 117 years. As a matter of fact, when I told you uh, King Henry I and King Henry II, I gave you three kings, and that was 100 years. So to go from three in England to 12 over the same time period in in the nation of Israel is a lot. And um, uh, so every king after Jeroboam I was a product or recipient of God's judgment. God was judging this northern nation of Israel to have so many kings so quickly. And what, what happened was because the, the, the suffering was very bitter for the northern kingdom. We know that God was, was dealing with them harshly. There was treachery, assassinations. It was basically a musical Game of Thrones, right? It was a new king every time you blinked and turned around. Listen to this. Listen to the length of, of, the, of the kings that came after Jeroboam I. So there was King Nadab. Uh, he was the king immediately after Jeroboam. He reigned for one year. The king Baasha reigned 23 years. That's a pretty good run uh, when you're looking at this, but there was misery in the nation of Israel and his entire household was murdered. 
Him and everybody that belonged to his household was murdered. King Elah was on the throne for one year. King Zimri, less than one year. King Tibni, five years. Omri was on the throne for 11 years. He was worse than every king before him. Ahab was on the throne for 21 years. That's a pretty good run, but he was the worst king Israel ever had on both sides. He was by far the worst. Ahab and Jezebel, you guys probably know the story. 21 years. King Ahaziah, one year. King Joram, 11 years. Jehu, 27 years. He wasn't horrible. He, he did the best out of all of the kings. Uh, but being the best of the worst is not doesn't say much, right? Uh, Jehoahaz, 16 years. Joash, 16 years. And Jeroboam II, 41 years on the throne. By far and away, the longest tenure on the throne of Israel, right? Uh, so just to hammer the point home, the following six kings after Jeroboam II reigned 42 years between all of them. 42 years between six kings. We see this continuation, shorter and shorter and shorter reigns on the throne. And I ask all of this to pose a question. This is the question that I pose to you. Why would Jeroboam II get 41 years when we know that he did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam? The first. Everybody had sinned equally, right? Everybody committed the exact same sins. Why did this guy get 41 years and everybody else get far less than that? You know, over these 117 years, Solomon had Solomon originally had built this kingdom. It's, it was the biggest Israel had ever been. And over the next 117 years, it continued to shrink and shrink and shrink. The kingdom was getting smaller because of powerful enemies and sufferings and things like that. But under Jeroboam II, it's actually the opposite. The kingdom started to grow. Look at verse 25. It says, He restored the border of Israel from the entrance of Hamath as far as the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke through his servant, the son or Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was at Gath Hefer. So that might not say a whole lot to us, right? Because we're not really familiar with the Sea of Arabah. We're not really familiar with all of these points, but the kingdom grew exponentially. Basically all of Moab, all of the Eastern kingdom had been adopted, had been gained by Israel. Israel had expanded greatly. And in order to do that, you have to think about the resources, the military might, all of the things that were needed by the Northern kingdom of Israel to expand like that, right? So it's growing. It's, 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 uh, it grows to the size that it was when Solomon was king. That's, it really is amazing. Let's, let's look at, at the next clue that we get in this. And I kind of breezed over it here. It says, all of this happened according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke through his servant, Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was at Gath Hefer. All of this happened in accordance with the word that Jonah had given to King Jeroboam. Why is this important? It's important for two reasons. It tells us what Jonah was doing before the book of Jonah, right? He was, a, it's not as if, you know, we know how Jonah begins. The word of Lord comes to Jonah saying, Jonah, son of Amittai, right? That was not the moment that he was commissioned to become a prophet. He was a prophet well before that. He was in the service of the Lord well before the book of Jonah ever takes place. And two, it shows what he had been preaching. And this is also significant. What was he preaching? What was he prophesying? Increase, blessings. Think about all of the prophets. They were not preaching blessings and increase. They were actually preaching the opposite. Jonah was preaching increase. So um, I want you to think about that. 
as far as prophets go, everybody wants Jonah's job, right? Because a lot of these other prophets were going into the nations and they were saying, judgment, horror, all of these things are coming upon you. Repent, repent now because God's hand, God's wrathful hand of, of justice is going to drop on you unless you repent. And everybody hated them. Everybody hated the prophets. Jesus says as much. You came and you, all the prophets that you stoned and that you killed, all the people that God sent you to repent and you hated them. But they didn't hate Jonah at this point. Jonah was saying, God is going to grow your borders. You will be blessed exponentially, right? All of these good things are happening. And the response to that was pride, entitlement, God, if God be for us, who can be against us? God is, I mean, and that's not to say that that's not biblical, but that is to say that God is going to bless whatever we put our hands to. All the meanwhile, they are continuing in this idolatry. They're not departing from worshiping in front of the false, in front of the golden calves and everything else. As a matter of fact, Jonah was not the only prophet who was being commissioned by God at this time. As a matter of fact, shortly after all of this, Hosea and Amos, if you ever go through the Old Testament and you want to read the book of uh, Hosea or Amos, they are preaching around the same time. And they are telling these same people, this northern kingdom of Israel, to repent. Look at all of these blessings that God is giving you. You continue to worship false gods and false idols. And yet the God is, God is just bringing increase after increase after increase to you. And you hunker down in pride. God is going to judge you. Uh, and they were hated for it. They hated Amos and Hosea for bringing this news, but not Jonah, not Jonah yet, right? We know how the story of Jonah goes, what he's called to do. Uh, we'll get more into that later, but why, why would God continue to bless them? Why would he give Jeroboam the second 41 years on the throne? Why would he continue to expand their borders? Verse 26 and 27 tell us, get a drink real quick. Sorry. 26 and 27. For the Lord saw the affliction of Israel, which was very bitter. For there was neither bond nor free, nor was there any helper for Israel. The Lord did not say that he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven. But he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. So during the 117 years that I was telling you earlier, Israel saw many, many, many hardships. Everybody was, was, was beaten down. It was a time of, of uh, they were really destitute. It was a, a spiral downward. But because of his covenantal love, because of his abounding mercy, because he is a God of mercy, the third category, not necessarily dispensing justice on those whom he seeks to give mercy to, he keeps this nation and he blesses this nation in the midst of all of their sin. It, it truly is a, a, a story when you look at the, at the, at the, the, the history of Israel or the history of um, even our own, even our, ourselves, we can see this grace that God dispenses, this mercy that God shows, even when we're in the midst of our sin. Can you think back when you were lost and you think back to all of the things and all of the different ways that things could have played out and you can see the fingerprints of God on your life before you had ever even known him. That there was going to be a point where he was going to fully draw you to himself. That is exactly what he does with these covenantal people. And he seeks to save them through Jeroboam II. And that's how God does it. Right? We go through the history of Israel. 
he blesses them, they shun him. He sends prophets to warn them. They preach repentance and judgment if the people will not repent from their sin. The prophets are then ignored or killed. And then God's wrath gets poured out, right? And that's when God is being a big old meanie. You see that today. Happens all the time. All the time. People don't change. We have, an, we have a way of going back into history and reading Israel and, and judging them, right? We're sitting there like, man, all of these guys got it completely wrong. They sit here and, and, and God, I mean, how could this, this nation who was brought up out of their slavery come into this land that God prepares for them, gives to them? How would they not give God what is due to God? Meanwhile, something bad happens in my life. Why would God do this to me? Right? Not even aware of the fact that the sin that I still carry, the things that I truly deserve, and how God has been merciful, right? We don't even see that. People don't even see that. The, the shootings that happen in, in uh, Virginia at the Christian school in Virginia, why would God allow something like that to happen? Well, the question is, is why are we not looking at the fact that all of us are sinful and living in a sinful world, and this is a place where bad things happen, right? It's not God being a meanie. No, his mercy and his covenantal love is abounding all the time. It's constantly going out. But see, in this instance, God was doing something bigger. He sought to do something bigger. In spite of the sinfulness and the fallenness of this people that he had constantly set his love upon. And he's going to use Jonah in one of the greatest displays in one of the greatest new covenant, a foreshadowing of Christ, actually. He is going to take Jonah, who has only been preaching good tidings of uh, good cheer, right? Who's only been loved by everybody because of the message that he brings. And he is going to send them, he's going to send him into the capital. Not just, not just a, a place where or a, a small band of, of barbarians are, but he's actually going to send them into the most barbaric detestable haters of Israel specifically. They hate Israelites. And he's going to send them in there to preach repentance and judgment to people or from God to a people that don't even believe in the God that he's going to be sending them to. And Jonah doesn't want to do it. Who would want to do that? That would be like, I heard this is not, I'm not the one saying this, this comes from somebody else. But he says it would be like a Jew after Nazi Germany going into Berlin and preaching repentance to all of Nazi Germany. Who would want to do that? Nobody. Nobody would want to do that. And that's actually how the, the story of Jonah gets started. Well, that changes it, doesn't it? Doesn't that change the landscape for how we view the story of Jonah, it's not simply, hey, Jonah, I want you to go and do this for me. And Jonah says, I don't think so, right? There is so much more at work here because God is not simply, although his particular people were the nation of Israel, God promised well before Job that all of the nations of the earth would be blessed through Abraham. You remember that? All of the nations would be blessed. So we look at the failures of Israel. We look at the failures of, of the world in general. I want you to look at the failures in your own lives. God, I failed. I failed. Yes, we all do, right? But when the Lord sets his love 
upon somebody. He works through the failures to bring greater blessing. Guys, when I, when I look back, when I look back because of the goodness of God, and this is what I want you to, to consider, think about all of the things you did before you knew God, right? All of the failures, all of the things that we feel guilty for, all of the things that we carry with us, the sins that, we've, the sins that we remember, and even the sins that we've forgotten. We read that, right, in our little book. How through every single one of those sins, God worked every one of them ultimately to bring you to himself, but not just that, to bring other people to him. Have you had, I mean, we're, and we're going to get into all of this as we start to break down the book of Jonah. We're going to get into all of the aspects where he goes out and, or, and he, he evangelizes to a people that don't know him. That's exactly what Jesus Christ did, by the way, in his ministry. He went to a people that knew him not, right? Went to a people that only wanted, only sought to kill him. The same thing with Jonah. And we saw all of the nations being blessed as a result of the work of the one whom God has sent. It's exactly what happens in the story of Jonah, right? So uh, it's, it's really some, some, uh, some beautiful, beautiful stuff. Um, I'll leave you this as we, as we finish up. Uh, here, this actually went a little bit faster than I thought I was going to, uh, but it is an introduction after all. Um, so often, even in our own day, there are people that would charge Christians with the idea that God is that God is a monster, that that what God sets is uh, the things that we see around us, and it's well, God has the power to stop it. Why doesn't He stop all of these things? Why doesn't He stop these things from happening? Why does He ask His people, who are you and me, to go into the world? Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission. Go ye therefore into all the world, right? Preaching the gospel, teaching people to obey, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. God does this. If God is a monster, if God is a monster, why would he have offered the redemption of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins for all who would call upon his name and believe in him? You see, Jonah was tasked with this insurmountable, task to go to a place where only he was hated, where people sought to kill him. And we see one of the greatest stories of redemption, one of the greatest stories of God's mercy and his love for people that don't even belong to him and his plans, what he was going to do in the future with them. And, and we cannot disregard our own sin. We cannot disregard our state as people. We talked a bit about this at length in the, in the catechism today. But all of us, we like to assume this innocence in mankind. This, this we're just poor, you know, uh, uh, helpless innocents down here that are being tossed in this ocean by, by a God who is either going to save us or he's going to condemn us. It's going to be one or the other. But God is up there as, this, as this, this, this mean guy in the clouds because that's a lot, how a lot of people view the Lord, that he's just sitting up there seeing what we're going to do, Right? And we're all just down here hoping that he's going to save us. But that's not what the Bible says. We are rebels against God inherently. The carnal man cannot be pleasing to God. The carnal man does not seek God. The carnal man does not know God. And this is the world, the world that we live in is the world that we've created for ourselves. And apart from God's restraining hand, apart from God shoveling out blessings upon people that only seek to worship other gods, that only seek to do that which is not pleasing to him. And he is constantly extending this hand to a people that don't want anything to do with him. 
And it's for a purpose. It's for a purpose. It's beautiful. This is the God that we come to. This is the God that we seek to gather and that we seek to worship. This one who is, who is all just, who does have wrath, who does not tolerate sin. But a God who is abounding in mercy and in kindness. And who has shown that repeatedly throughout history. So, lest anyone be tempted to think that way, God made a promise to Abraham that all the nations of the earth would be blessed through his seed. Remembering that, and what we looked at today, now that we kind of have an idea of what was happening in this time, right, with the kings, the state of sinfulness, all of the things that were going on, I think that that will lay out the coming weeks for us as we start to get into the book of Jonah, where we can understand the context and truly extract the truth and the beauty of this magnificent story that we've all teach to our kids. Maybe we'll all learn something. I know that I definitely have uh, in my study. So that is our, uh, our introduction. I look forward to being able to walk through this book with you all. Um, this is my first time preaching through a book of uh, an entire book in the Old Testament. So I'm looking forward to that too. So uh, continue to pray for, for Tasha and, and the baby and, and Ryan. Uh, they all need it, as you all know. Uh, anybody who has young children or been around young children, you need the prayers and uh, most importantly, the sleep. So uh, thank you guys. We'll, let's pray and we will uh, we'll do the, the benediction and the, and the doxology. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that we can look back into the history of, of not just sinful Israelites, Lord, but that we can pull from scripture, Lord, and we can see that that same sinfulness that, that dwelled in us, and in some sense, Lord, that still does dwell in us. God, we ask you, Lord, that you would uh, continue to sanctify us, Lord, that you would continue to show us our sin, that you would not let us forget our sin, as happened with these people in, in, in the nation of Israel. God, may we never forget the ways that we transgressed you, because it's in light of those things, Lord, that the beauty and the majesty of Christ shines ever more clearly to us. God, may we, may we, may we read this book with, with open hearts, with open eyes, with open ears. Lord, help us with this as we seek to, to glorify you through your word and this miraculous work that you performed in history. We love you, God. I ask your blessings on all of our brothers and sisters that are here today and even those that are not. Pray, Lord, that you would protect all of our brothers and sisters as they travel. We pray for Ryan and for Tasha and for, the, and for their family, God, as, as they have this new baby that they brought into the world. You are so good. You are so good to us, God, and we love you. We thank you. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. If you'll please stand for the benediction. We'll be out of Numbers chapter 6. The blessing of Aaron, verse 24. This is not me blessing you. This is the Lord blessing you through his word. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. Thank you.